Today's episode of Tales of the Voidfarer is brought to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast, providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you're going to get when you include an ad like the one you're going to hear later. Apply to Podgo today and become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co at podgo.co. And be sure to tell them those cool nerds from Tales of the Voidfarer sent you. Previously on Tales of the Voidfarer. I actually have some associates that are working at Storm's Eye. That'd be the Seekers then, wouldn't it? Oh, yes, I'm a Seeker myself. All right, it'll be about three days travel non-stop to Storm's Eye. You see what is clearly a cloaked humanoid figure duck behind one of the large crates. And you see as the hood falls back on this this figure, it's a git, but you know it's not a git Yankee. It's a Githzerai. You see a Githzerai woman. Locke will say, looks like something's tailing us. You see it lurch forward and enter the sphere, and it is a galloping skeletal triceratops. Looks like we've got company. Oh, fun. All right. (laughs) Cool. You guys are on the Dust Cleaver, this massive arcane vehicle built by the Leadfoot clan of gnomes. And you are traveling through the storm from a settlement called Storm's Edge to a place called Storm's Eye, which is the middle stop on your way to the Moonhammer Mining Company mine that is located in the center somewhere of this swirling, perpetual, necromantic storm on this moon, the Vizier. And if you recall, one of your companions, the GIF gunslinger, Fitzwilliam Locke, had just fired his rifle at something that seemed to have been following you, and he knocked a skeletal rider off of his mount, which was a massive, rampaging skeletal triceratops that is now barreled into the barrier holding the storm at bay and is now charging the back of the vehicle closing distance fast and I need everyone to roll for initiative. Okay. Okay. Very nice. Starting off with a bang. If I had the right spreadsheet up in mm-hmm. front of me. <laughs> Nicholas, please. Hot and spicy. Seven. Seven. Womp womp. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way of life. 18. 18. Oh, Wow. Best friends forever. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Twinsies. Okay, so as you're reacting to this thing charging forward, it's actually going to use its movement to close the rest of the distance, and it's going to attack the back end of its vehicle with its large horns. Um, 
All right, it does indeed hit. So as you're preparing to act, you jump to attention, but before you can really do anything, there is a sickening crash coming from the back of this vehicle. You hear the sounds of twisting, creaking metal, and the entire vehicle lurches, and I need everybody to make a dexterity saving throw. Nine. 23. Okay. 13. Okay. The whole thing lurches. Luckbeak, you are knocked prone. Okay. Marco and Ravenous, you're fine. Locke is fine. <laughs> Brala is knocked on her ass. Brohane is in the back of Ira and is fine, and the gnomes seem fine as well. Ravenous and or Luckbeak, whoever would like to go first. Prone, prone just means to get up, I sacrifice my movement. Half your movement. Half my movement. Uh, why don't you go first, Ravenous? Okay, so it's like above us? Uh, no, you're on the middle segment of the storm rig, which if you recall, is kind of like a open deck of a ship almost. Mm-hmm. And then there's the cargo car, which is where the cargo is, uh, where you're holding your Githzerai prisoner. That's in the back, and the Triceratops has now rammed the back of that car, uh, and his horns are entangled in the mechanisms of the back of the vehicle. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, I should also note, uh, there is there is a large swiveling ballista in the center of this deck, uh, as well as two swiveling like hand cannons on either side. Oh, mm. sure. Okay. You would know the ballista works exactly like the one on the Voidfarer, where it takes several actions to fire that could be done by the same person over multiple turns or by three people all at once if you want to be able to fire it faster. The hand cannon that are mounted to the rails on either side can only be operated by one person, but it still takes an action to fire and an action to load. That sounds like it'll take a pretty long time. Mm -hmm. Um, So since it's still attached, I think that she's going to run over as best she can. Can she like get over there? Yeah, it would use pretty much all 30 feet of your move, but you would be able to get back to the end of the cart where the Triceratops is. Okay, and then she's going to swing her longsword at it. Um, okay. Actually, question, would she know that if the longsword would like not work for some reason because this is magical? Um, You can make an arcana or religion. Seven. <laughs> uh, you are not sure. All right, we're going to find out the old-fashioned way. Um, that is a 17 to hit. That will hit. Okay. So, okay, so I can roll my telekinetic strike with this too, right? Correct. Okay. So, that kind of sucks. Seven and five is 12. 12. With yeah. five of them being the psionic. Right. Yeah. You swing it and there's that pulse of purple fire and that kinetic energy bursts outwards away from the blade and you hack a good chunk out of its bony head plate. It seems to do just as much damage as you were expecting it to. Make make a quick intelligence check. That is pretty okay. That's 18. So while your slashing attack did just as much damage as you were expecting it to, being up close, seeing the brittle looking bones, you get the impression that um, perhaps bludgeoning attacks would be more effective. Okay, well, with her extra action, she's going to hit it again anyway. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, not the extra action, but the extra attack she gets on her. Yeah, your, your second attack. Yeah. That is 17 plus 6 is 23. That hits. Do I get telekinetic strike? I believe you can only do it once once per round. You're right. 
Ooh, but that's pretty spicy. That is max damage, so 16. Nice. Y'all describe dice rolls as spicy a lot. <laughs> nice and spicy, <laughs> Spicy man. crew. Then dice rolls got the cayenne kick. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> some Spanish paprika on those dice rolls. <laughs> right? I've also been told that I describe Ravnus as my sweet baby a lot. <laughs> That's a very strange you way just, to describe Ravnus. You describe Ravnus. all of your characters that way, Fiona. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Every single one. <laughs> because they are all my sweet baby. <laughs> all right. Uh, is that all you're doing, Ravnus? Yeah. Uh, all right, Luckbeat. Ravnus, you don't, you don't communicate that bludgeoning is more effective than slashing, do you? Yeah, yeah. She'll shout, um, she'll shout like, run to the ballista. Um what a ballista is. It's a big fucking Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. I say, all right, we, we need something that's that's going to hit it hard. Um, I'll be right back. Uh, and I run to the, oh, half my movement run to the cargo hold. Um, you can, you can use a bonus action to dash. Oh, yeah, I'll dash. That sounds great. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you can get, get to the cargo hold. Um, yeah, you get in there. Uh, you see Ezerath, the the Gezerai that's tied up. As soon as you walk in, her eyes are wide and she's still bound. And she goes, "What's what's happening? You punch, right? Yes. Gotta promise me you ain't gonna hurt her." And I start untying her. Okay. Oh shit. Usually you make them promise that before you start to untie them. <laughs> we have no time. No time for promises. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, she just nods and uh, lets you untie her. It's Locke's turn. Uh, I probably should have pulled up his stats. <laughs> Maybe a good idea. <laughs> Maybe. What do you do, sir? <laughs> I'm big and I shoot things. There he is, Fitzwilliam Locke. All right. He is going to pull out one of his pistols and fire. He deals 10 damage with that shot, and that one's going to hit, and he deals another 10 damage. Okay. The gnomes are scrambling to the ballista. Lugnut, who is driving, um, says, Someone better take care of that bloody beast! And his fellow Leadfoot gnome companions, uh, Gasket and Camshaft, run, and they begin manning the ballista. Um, One is going to use their action to load it and the other is going to use their action to aim it um, but that is all they can do this turn and Lugnut is obviously still driving so this triceratops is horn still kind of tangled in the back of the vehicle Ravnus you're standing right there on it you've hit it uh, twice and you see two bullets uh, ricochet like hit and crack its big bony head from Locke's shots, and it shudders and yanks its head out from the back of the vehicle, separating itself, and you hear, like, the grinding, straining metal, and then a ching as something just shears off somewhere, and the whole vehicle begins shaking violently, Uh, and all the gnomes basically uh, curse together in unison, and it feels like the vehicle is immediately... Now, like, something's grinding, the whole vehicle is shaking, and it feels like you're decelerating. All right. Oh, boy. Brohane 
on the back of Ira. Sounds like something broke. I'll take a look. And he skitters on the back of uh, his mechanical spider over the top of the rig. And uh, Ravnus, you see out of the corner of your eye, this mechanical spider with Brohane on its back kind of crawl up over the cargo hold and kind of off to the side. Brohane like now kind of dangling in his chair sideways, strapped in as he begins looking for whatever broke. Brawla is going to grab her crossbow and fire at the Triceratops. And miss. She, she swears to herself in Dwarven and uh, loads a crossbow bolt and fires, but uh, is hasty with it, and it misses ricocheting off the corner of the back of the rig. Uh, Marco. All right. Um, I'm going to run up, look down at this thing, and I'm going to drop magnify gravity on it. <laughs> okay. Uh, constitution saving throw. Okay. Oh, I'm going to cast it as second level spell as well. Okay. That is going to be a, a 19. Fortunately, that's going to pass. So nothing happens. There's no, there's no half effect or anything? Oh, wait. Here we go. On a successful save, the creature takes half the damage and suffers no reduction to its speed. Okay. So I dropped it at second level, so that's 3d8. So that is five damage. Okay. Yeah, Marco drops this thing, doesn't see its movement, just screams, Ah. Oh. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, you focus on it and you cast Magnify Gravity and you see the spell take effect and the whole thing as it's like galloping, keeping up with the vehicle, which it's moving unnaturally fast. You see that its bones have that crackling like black pattern through the bones. Like it looks like the skeleton that Locke gave to Fival back in town. And it, it seems like it has like an unnatural vitality and energy to it so much so that it can keep up with the vehicle. As your spell takes effect, it kind of like stumbles slightly and you see some of the bones crack a little bit more, but it recovers fairly quickly and does not lose any ground. All right, I'm gonna nuke it next time. <laughs> um, it does look like it. There are big parts of its bones that are uh, like cracked and shattered. It's taken a decent amount of damage. It would be bloodied if it had blood. <laughs> it's marrowy. <laughs> So, Luckbeak, uh, Ezareth immediately uh, stands as soon as you cut her free and leaves the cargo hold running past you. Mm -hmm. And she has just enough movement to get to... Yeah, she would go out the other way. Since it's like uh, two ends to the cargo hold, then you came through Luckbeak coming from front to back. And since this enemy is on the other side, she just goes out the back and is going to... It's separated, but still adjacent. Yeah, she can probably hit it. Yeah, she's going to kind of like hang off of the back of the uh, the vehicle and make like two quick kicks at its bony horns that are right on the tail of the vehicle. All right, that one will hit. And that one will hit. Okay. Um, so 12 bludgeoning damage doubled to 24. Damn. Because it's vulnerable to bludgeoning. Then an additional 18 psychic damage. Jesus. Oh, wait, is it? Hold on. It might be immune. Uh, no, it's only immune to poison. Yeah. So uh, she, she unleashes her punches and you, the bones kind of crack under her fists. But with each blow, there's also that poof of purple energy. And you see its eyes glow purple as well as it shudders. Good Lord. Is it still uh, moving? It is, it, it is still moving. Um, however, uh, it has significantly been damaged. It. Um, it looks like it doesn't have a whole lot of fight left in it, but as this undead being, um, it doesn't look like it's at, going to surrender at any point. Sure. Okay. Ravnus and Luckbeak. 
And Ravenous, you saw this Gazerai, who you thought was tied up in the cargo hold, come bursting out next to you and deal this load of pain to this Triceratops. Yeah, um, Ravenous. Is is Ravenous, like, fairly certain she could let off the ballista without, um, without hitting her? Yes. Uh, well, you, well, you're not 100% certain because you didn't aim the ballista. It is one action to fire it right now, um, but it would be just aimed however Camshaft aimed it. Um, having done that action of the firing process. Yeah, so it would probably be more worth it for her to just keep on with the sword um, for now anyway. So she's mm-hmm. going to swing at it with her sword. Nice. And that is a 21. That does hit. And she's going to use her thingy-majig. <laughs> um, teleconnect strike. Sure. Um, that is three and seven and six is 13 with four of them being, um, the psionic stuff. Alrighty. And for her next trick, (laughs) that is an 18 to hit. That will hit. Um, and then that would be 14 damage. Okay. Um, all right. Luckbeak. Um... I come up from the cargo hold, and I uh, am going to kind of look around. I guess the ballista is probably my best bet here. They're both uh, manned, though, already, aren't they? Uh, It is manned, but uh, up to three people can be on a ballista. There's only two. Um, Actually, the next person to run up to it, uh, all, all they have to do is use their action to fire, and it can fire right away. Sure, I don't... So the thing has already been loaded and aimed. Yeah. It's just that that's all the gnomes could have done, uh, and one of them will fire it on their turn, or you can run up and fire it Well, now. you know what? Yeah. I get in there, and I say, uh, oh, we're already... Oh, hey, sorry to glory hog, gentlemen. And then I hit the button. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, go ahead, um, go ahead and make an attack roll. Okay. Using your dexterity and proficiency. Okay. Um, and you can make it at a, an advantage, basically, because uh, I'm rolling that since it was already like aimed and ready to go. Um, it's like the equivalent of the help action. Sure, that's a dirty twenty both times. Nice. Uh, that will in fact hit. Um, so um, you are going to roll me some damage. Okay. It's gonna be. A lot. <laughs> All right. Uh, roll me 3d12. Well, that is a three and a three and a two. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All righty. Uh, so you put this crossbow bolt uh, directly through this thing's skull and it cracks. And just the, the ballista bolt just punches a hole straight through this thing's skull and it shudders violently um, but is still limping along. Uh, I'll say honestly that hit probably put about 10 feet of distance but it's still keeping up in this creepy supernatural Terminator like way. Sure. Okay. That was a hell of a hit. The whole thing is still shuddering and you hear that gross grinding sound. Um, The gnomes are actually going to be more preoccupied with fixing that. So instead of loading and aiming the ballista, they're basically going to say good job to you, Luckbeak, and then immediately abandon the ballista to grab their tools and run to where Brohane is to try and fix this part uh, that seems to have broken mid-combat and is rapidly slowing down the vehicle. Um, 
what's everybody's passive perceptions? Uh, 13. 12. 12, 13, 13, 13, still? 14. 14 now. Okay. I, I was keeping track, but oh, I don't wait, think I 13, updated. 13, sorry. 13? Okay. Okay. Yeah, you all notice uh, as, as the vehicle is still slowing down steadily, and so is this creature after taking the hits that it has. But as you're slowing down, um, you see more shadows uh, quickly appearing and accumulating on the edge of the storm, uh, shambling their way closer, um, you know, as you're slowing down. We, we think those are the same things. Uh, Locke is going to say... Probably worse. Uh, okay, Locke, you you much of a mechanic, buddy? I'm not. The the gnomes are saying the we are. We're working on it. <laughs> and Brohane seems to be working on working on that shit as well, sure. trying to get it fixed. And he's gonna shout out, "If you can just hold them off, we'll get it fixed as quick as we can." Hey, boy. All right. So the Triceratops is going to make an attack against Ravnus. Hey. Rude. <laughs> That is going to be a 21 to hit. Mm-hmm. You take 24 piercing damage Ow. as it lunges forward and pierces you with one of its horns. And it quickly recoils. Alrighty. Brawla is going to curse and throw her crossbow to the ground and run over and load the ballista for you, Luckbeak. Thank you. But that's all she can do this turn. So it'll still need an action to aim and an action to fire. Sure. Um, did Locke go? I don't think Locke went. Locke was chatting, but I don't think he actually took no, his turn. No, I don't think so either. Yeah. No, I don't think he did. You know what? He'll aim the ballista. Cool. Uh, Marco, it's your turn. All right. Um, would you say that some of these creatures coming are within 150 feet? They would be on that range, but you don't have a clear like line of sight on them. They're just kind of shadows in the storm. They're not. They haven't breached the barrier that is being generated by the vehicle. Can I ready fireball for them to get close? Sure. Then, yeah, the second they get within range of fireball, I'm bombing them. You're just throwing a fireball? You can absolutely uh, lob that fireball into the storm. Then, yeah, I am lobbing a fireball. Um, They would all need to make dexterity saving throws. Fireball's more of a to-whom-it-may-concern type of spell. (laughs) (laughs) What's the DC? DC is 15. Okay. They all fail. Okay. Here comes 8d6. That is 26 damage. Damn. Nice. Yeah. Uh, you, you look at, like, the densest collection of these vaguely humanoid shadows sprinting through the storm, and you pick that densest location, and you hurdle the, the small bead over it, and it sails and poof, into the storm, and there's a half a beat before there's this glowing pulse of this dull, diffused orange glow through the storm, and you can just make out silhouettes of humanoid-shaped forms just being flung everywhere and on fire, and that particular area doesn't appear to have any other creatures remaining after your fireball disperses. Hell yeah. (laughs) I look at the others and says, I only have two more of those, so please, please fix the damn thing. (laughs) We're going as fast as we can. All right. So that happened. <laughs> um, Here comes a bomb. <laughs> uh, Ezrath is going to... Uh, she's going to make her attacks. So yeah, she lets out a punch and it whiffs and then she swings around with her leg, uh, hitting one of its horns and cracks it off. This thing is holding on by its last legs. So uh, Ravnus and Luckbeak. 
Luckbeak, the ballista is ready to fire. Ravnus, you are standing by. I mean, I'm going to fire the ballista. Okay. Uh, Go ahead and uh, roll again. Uh, dexterity plus proficiency. Sure, sure. I'm going to say I did this one pretty much by myself. <laughs> you still have advantage on the roll. Oh, good. There's a 23. Yep, that'll hit it. Uh, go roll the 3d12 again. That's a haha, 10 and 8 and 4. A little better. Nice. All right, Ravenous, what were you doing? Uh, she was going to try to hit the thing. Do it. If, if there's something to hit still. Appears to be. All right. Uh, natural 20. Nice. Okay, so I don't roll psionic twice, right? Uh, no, it, it, that's part of the attack. Uh, so what? you that that dice does get doubled too. Okay, I need to find another D eight then. <laughs> Fiona, keeper of millions of dice, needs to find another D eight. I know. I I did this during the fucking stream too. Was, <laughs> I, re- I really could not find one. I was like, what where the hell? are your dice now? <laughs> I had to pull out one that's like instead of numbers, it's like card faces. So you have to like do the mm-hmm. math in your head of like what ten would translate to yeah. and stuff. It's that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, it sucked. That's pretty good. Okay, so for psionic, that would be 20. Okay. And then for the other stuff, it would be 16. Cool. So together, Luckbeak and Ravenous, how do you want to do this? What What's it look like as this ballista oh. bolt and your critical psionic-infused strike hit this thing at the same time? Well, um... I think it's uh, might be more interesting if my ballista bolt hits first, and maybe you jam the bolt in with your strike. Ooh, that yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah, she uses her sword almost more like a hammer and just like smack it in. Plus the telekinetic, uh, like, right? Boost. The telekinetic like force that's coming out of her sword. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, like that. Sounds pretty cool. Yeah, Luckbeak looses this ballista bolt and it sails the length of the vehicle, jamming and lodging itself into this thing's skull. Just as Ravnus is bringing her sword around with that crackling purple psionic fire, and as her sword impacts, there's that burst of telekinetic energy that just drives this bolt deeper into this thing, pinning it to the ground, uh, and it stops with a, a, a jolt and uh, collapses into bones now in your wake as it's now 20 feet, 40 feet, 60 feet, and then into the storm behind you as the cart keeps driving. Nice. everyone, Nick Yurisiva here, your Dungeon Master and Sage Commander, whatever that means. Thanks for listening to this third episode of Chapter 4 of Tales of the Voidfair. If you like what you're hearing, the best way to let us know and to show your appreciation is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes and Podchaser. It doesn't cost you a thing, and it helps us get into the ears of more cool people like yourself. Gross. You can and should also give us a follow over on our social media at Voidfarer Podcast on Facebook and at Voidfarer Pod on Twitter. It's been a while since we did a social media prompt, so um, if you're hearing this, tag us and let us know what you think Locke's mysterious backstory really is. 
Special thanks, as always, to Tom Goldthwaite for writing our theme song and other original music. And thanks to the band Highland Rose for performing the kick-ass rock version of the said theme. Additional music provided by purple-planet.com. If you haven't been listening to the current season of Fables Around the Table, we, we can't be friends anymore. I'm sorry, it's just not working out. This season, titled Tainted Love, is featuring the Emmy Award-winning tabletop RPG slash dating sim Visigoths vs. Malgoths by Lucian Khan. Fiona Alf Kelly, our very own Ravnus, plays the Conqueror Visigoth and Horse Girl Gusvinta. Episode 4 premieres tomorrow, Wednesday, September 16th, and the finale will be next week on September 23rd. Stick around for the end of the episode for a trailer. Lastly, today's episode is once again presented by Vare. Vare was founded with the goal of building an affordable, everyday wristwatch that blends tasteful design with extreme durability and functionality. Vare returns a sense of dignity to affordable wristwatches and are built to last. Vare is a true American watch company specializing in both quartz and automatic watches. Vare is offering our listeners 15% off if you use the code PODGO15. Go to varewatches.com to learn more and get your new timepiece today. We are going to make a slight adjustment to our release schedule moving forward. We'll be moving to releases on the first and third Tuesdays of the month instead of every other Tuesday like we've been. The vast majority of the time, there won't be any difference, but when there's five Tuesdays in the month like there is this month, it'll mean we'll have an extra week off squeezed in there. So that means the next episode will premiere on Tuesday, October 6th, and that's going to be our one-year anniversary episode. So we'll see you then. So the whole vehicle is still shuddering, but shortly thereafter, you hear the muffled uh, cries of the gnomes uh, in celebration as Brohane emerges back over the top of the side of the vehicle, still on the back of Ira, uh, with grease on his face, pulling his goggles up, and the shuddering now stopped. Uh, you guys now beginning to accelerate back up to speed. Well, well that was tricky, um, but I'm always down for a challenge. <laughs> oh, all right. How we doing? We're 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 fixed. He has to be. Lugnut shouts over his shoulder. Whew. Um, Brohane is gonna say well, that part's uh repaired for now, but we should uh, give it a more thorough look once we're able to stop. Camshaft will say, yeah, we should be able to take a look at it as soon as we get to Storm's Eye. Good lord, should be less than a day now. You're telling me I saw that thing pull a piece off the bottom. You guys were still able to repair it on the fly. For now. I wouldn't recommend getting into any any more scraps like that. Holy cow. But uh that's incredible. We need you on our ship. That was pretty amazing. <laughs> and just what is wrong with the repair capabilities aboard the Void Fetter? Right. <laughs> uh Brohane, everything actually is just like real good. Um but you can't make something out of nothing, can you? That's pretty incredible. You got to give it up for them. <laughs> Careful, you might hurt Laney's feelings. Oh, yeah, all right. <laughs> and he 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 chuckles to himself. <laughs> Is someone going to take the prisoner back downstairs? I look around. Yeah, Ezarath is kind of standing there, and she looks up and goes, "Don't you think I've earned my freedom?" Um, I can potentially be a neutral party here. Why don't I watch after her before we get to Storm's Eye? Is that good with everybody? Is that square? She shrugs. Okay. Marco walks over to her. All right, um, I guess uh, come with me then. And um, you promise not to kick my head off? 
<laughs> I'll resist the urge. Then I don't think we have to worry about the shackles right now as he's kind of like leading her away. Good. I'm glad to hear that. So you guys settle in. The Leadfoots say uh, you'll be arriving at Storm's Eye in less than a day. So you have opportunity to sit, do whatever you want. You can take the benefits of a short rest if you want. And if there's, is there anything you want to do or say or anybody you want to talk to? I'd like to talk to the Gesserai. Sure. Okay. I'm going to say Marco would too, but I don't know if he'd necessarily initiate. So once Luckbeak comes in, his curiosity will get the better of him. <laughs> sure. Y- yeah. Uh, Ravnus is staying far away from that and <laughs> probably just healing herself with her hit dice. Sure. Yeah, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, Marco, where did you take the Gitsurai? Back to like the cargo hold or um, just to like a, a corner on the deck somewhere? Or I think we'd maybe make a cozy place in the cargo hold to kind of at least still... T- put Ravnus's mind at ease that she's not just wandering around at her own volition. Sure. But yeah. So cargo yeah. hold, like maybe pull a chair down there or something. Yeah. <laughs> you go there. Uh, she, if you, if you offer her a chair, she doesn't take it. She sits on the floor cross-legged uh, and she rests her hands uh, kind of loosely in her lap and just sits there rigid back. And you see there's Dipstick, the large giant <laughs> space hamster with the prosthetic leg sitting there chewing on what looks like uh, it was a stump that has been uh, upturned and uh, just given to him as something to chew on. Uh, he's He has darker fur. He is, is like a black and like tan colorations as opposed to Tashi, who is like a golden color all over. But the hamster doesn't pay you any mind. It just just sits there squeaking to itself and chewing on its hunk of wood um, i'm gonna see um i'm gonna squeakers tashi Swoop. and uh, see if the two of them will get along yeah uh tashi expands out and sniffs towards dipstick uh who sniffs back and then takes his hunk of wood and turns 180 and sets it back down and continues chewing on it now with his back to tashi Aww. <laughs> all right squeakers <laughs> back in the pocket giving some treats you know It's like, sorry, you couldn't make a friend today. (laughs) It seems Dipstick is like, no, my. (laughs) You catch out of the corner of your eye uh, as Arath rolls her eyes really hard. Um, is there some, is there a problem with the pet hamster? Not at all. Um, I just question what function such a creature holds. Well, companionship first and foremost, but thing can grow to quite enough size that it's also a pretty good, uh, what's the term? Beast of burden? Or like, you know, like a riding, a steed. There we go, a steed. <laughs> Jesus, Tanner. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, overall, it's a good companion, but it could also make a pretty good steed as well, considering its size. Perhaps. If that is worth the emotional burden of putting such a creature in danger in your travels. Marco just shrugs at that and goes back to reading. <laughs> <laughs> so, Luckbeak, I imagine you'd get there uh, shortly thereafter. Yeah. You see the scene of the giant space hamster now with his ass towards the, the group sure. chewing on something. Uh, Marco's in the chair, I imagine, reading his book and Ezerath cross-legged in a meditative type position. Have we gotten her name yet? And I just forgot. Ezerath. Ezerath. She told us that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to uh, to approach uh, Ezerath and go, uh, hey, um, nice job out there. Thank you. It's always um, a thrill being able to put my training to practical use. Sure. I, I, I much appreciate you uh, not going in hard with Ravnus. I know that there was some uh, 
misunderstanding between the two of you at first. I'm sure you'd get along famously. Um, hey, can I can I ask you something? Uh, she her eyes have been shut this whole time, but she opens her eyes and looks at you. Um, you said that you were sent here by your people to the storm's eye, and there were legends and stuff. And I mean, what? Why are you here? I mean, what did they want you to do here? If you're so curious, my people, the Githzerai, are very, their history and stories of our people throughout the ages is very important to us. And this crystal sphere has been a enigma, a blank spot in our history for as long as the sphere has been sealed off from the rest of the material plane. Now that it is available, we know that our people were involved here some way back eons past, and it is of great interest to us to piece together what they were doing and that part of our cultural history. All right. Marco closes his book and is like, oh, this is way more interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, uh, all right. I mean, I assume... Uh, Gith's awry. I mean, there's got to have been people who came here before you, right? Or are you really truly the first? Nobody ever tried to explore this crystal sphere? We have individuals all throughout this sphere. Um, as it appears that our records indicated that the, the Gith's awry of eons past um, were quite involved with this sphere for some reason or another. Um I'm the only one that has been sent to this particular site on this moon. Wow. All right. So you got stuck with the uh, the real short straw here going straight into the storm's eye. Um, make an insight sure. check. Um, no, that's a 21. You say that and she nods and says, yes, the short end of the stick, sure. And you get the impression that uh, she's not being entirely genuine like she knows exactly what she's doing like you know you're insinuating that this was kind of like a shit assignment but you get the impression she does not feel that way despite her words of generally agreeing with Mm. you so what what do y'all get out of this i mean maybe not even y'all but what do you get out of this i mean you're gonna go back and be some sort of hero or you know your name gonna be written down in the books are you gonna be like the queen you get a cool crown or She hesitates for a moment, and she says, In my training, discipline of the mind is just important as discipline to the body. And in that regard, we are taught that such accolades are inessential, and that we should not covet them. Huh. And I would say, with your insight check, she's regurgitating this because that's what is supposed to be the case, but you distinctly get the impression that uh, she's not necessarily practicing what she's preaching in this moment. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, okay. I'm going to say, well, listen, uh, we don't seem to be, we don't seem to be talking cross purpose here. So, I mean, we're glad to have you and uh, let's watch each other's backs, I guess. Huh? Of course. It's my goal to get to the storm's eye to fulfill my mission. And so long as that our paths are in tandem for the time being, I see no issue um, with the current arrangement. Okay. 
cut to Luckbeak upstairs just walking by Ravnus and going like, yeah, something's weird with yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> weird with who? <laughs> oh, I didn't mean for that to be a scene, more of a button, but uh, they, they, <laughs> okay. They, yeah, like, it's, that's fucked up. Something's odd. <laughs> Alright. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the the rest of the day goes by pretty uneventfully. There's still the uh the occasional moments of driving through the massive roving herd of zombies and skeletons uh that whiz by the vehicle every now and again. And there's still that ever present flickering of purple lightning through the storm clouds off in the distance as you go but nothing breaks again you don't run into any immediate dangers that you don't just whiz on right by and as it's getting closer to evening the sky does look a little bit darker now they're giving the clouds an even more ominous look which you've experienced at dusk the last two nights on this three-day journey into into the storm you eventually immediately notice when you break a threshold out in front of you a point where the the magical dome generated around this vehicle holding the storm at bay breaches another barrier in the storm as the vehicle drives into this large perfectly circular settlement and as you look up you see that there is a perfectly cylindrical hole in the storm that extends directly up from the settlement, creating this massive tunnel like you're looking through a well from the bottom of the swirling clouds around this hole in the storm. As the storm rig slows down and pulls into this space, you see that there is like a tent city. There's tents up here and there. There's some simple thoroughfares kind of through the middle, and you can make out way off to your left that a huge, probably like two-thirds of this break in the storm is like a, a dig site, this excavated terrain where there's scaffolding that descends down into the earth. Um, and you can make out the edges of what look like ancient structures and buildings tucked in throughout this dig site. And you see more tents and stuff scattered about. The storm rig pulls up into like a large kind of clearing and there is a large tent off to the side that's open sides, almost like um, almost like a big awning that is kind of stretched out on ropes to kind of create an overhang. And they pull the storm rig into that area. And it looks like there's like a little makeshift garage type setup. You can see that there's big crates of what look like tools just laying about in barrels of alchemical fluid and various other things uh, scattered about. And you see that there's a gnome sitting on a crate with his arm in a sling and he waves at Camshaft who's driving as he pulls up the rig. Uh, and Camshaft will turn and say, all right, uh, we'll be here for a little while. Uh, make yourself at home around the dig site. We'll be switching out the uh, the spent lead cylinders for gold ones so we can make it all the way to the mine. And uh, we'll probably be taking off here in uh, probably uh, five, six hours. All right. Uh, thank you so much. We'll be back in time, I suppose. And you see uh, Camshaft jumps down and begins talking with this other gnome that is sitting there. You see Brala is just chilling on the deck. It doesn't look like she's planning on going anywhere for the time being. Locke has hopped down and seems to be taking a seat kind of tucked away in this garage area to maintenance his guns as he does when there is any idle moment. 
Um, and it looks like Brohane is just going to be tinkering on Ira. And the other gnomes are doing the maintenance and swapping out the cylinders on your storm rig. Um, I think the first thing that I would do is at least go to the gnome that is talking with uh, Camshaft and be like, um, excuse me, do you know where a gentleman named Diago Vasco is? Oh, Diego. Uh, yeah, uh, he'll, he's the, uh, dig leader. Uh, he's, his, uh, his tent is that one over there. Uh, and he points across the way and you can see that there is a larger tent, um, kind of in the middle of the, uh, uh, the cluster of tents that's over by the edge of the, the dig site proper. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, and, uh, the, the gnome goes, ah, where my man is, ah, Axel Leadfoot. The lead oh. clan. Marco Astorio. He he like instinctively like goes to give like his right hand, which is in a sling, and catches himself and offers his left hand to shake instead. Yeah, Marco shakes it. Marco Astorio, uh my own man, no clan. <laughs> 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 Axel like laughs with that and he goes, Alright, well uh, I gotta finish uh, catching up my uh my cousin here on uh the increased undead activity. Increased Right challenge to us on uh, the wind piercer coming in. Rest of them already took off towards the mine. Well, um, thank you so much, Axel. Appreciate it. Of course. Let me know if you have any other questions around this place. From- Was Barco still watching um, uh, Azerath? I think the idea would be that once the- we're actually in Storm's Eye, be like, oh, our transaction is completed. You were meant to get here. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is where she was getting off. Okay. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and, uh, if nobody says anything to her, she's just going to wander off on her own. This was her final oh, destination, weird. was this, that was, was Storm's Eye. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. that. My idea for Marco is, like, steps off of the rig, not getting back on the rig, well, my job is done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd like to talk to Ravnus. Sure. Um, hey, uh, hey, Ravnus, um, what, did you... Was it weird to see another Gith? I, I know she's a different clan, but uh, yes, it was weird. Uh, are you? I mean, do you have any want to talk any more with her, or like, is it cool that you just like see somebody and then you you each nod and, I mean, is, is that is that it? Usually, they kill each other. Right. Okay. So it's a real last man standing thing with Gith, huh? Well, I guess. This is the best way it could have turned out then. Uh, all right. Well, ne- never mind. Good good to know. I guess. That's why she didn't like me. Why? Do y'all kill each other again? Shoot. Why do they kill each other? <laughs> okay. So uh, if you want, I can give you the, the, the quick cliff notes and you can translate that to Ravnus's voice <laughs> yeah. for the purposes of the scene. Yeah, because I know, I know that the pirates of Gith are like entirely different, but she would have learned before yeah. why the Gith and the Gith Sarai don't like each other. Correct. So the Gith and the Gith Sarai, um, they, they were one people originally created by experimentations. They were like, were they're basically a race born of mind flayer experiments. Wait, is this the Zarai or the Yankee? Both. Oh, okay. Both the Gith Yankee and the Gith Zarai were originally one people created by the mind flayers to be slaves and, you know, basically brain fodder, uh, food-like stuff. And uh, so they, they were born of these mind flayer experiments, and then they eventually fought for their own 
freedom and escaped the control of the mind flares, but uh, the, the the Gith people fractured into two different ideologies where the Gith Yankee were more like, well, we fought for our freedom, so we're just going to keep on fighting and pillaging and doing pirate stuff. Um, the Gith Zerai were more peaceful, like Zen, like, you know, we've reached our freedom. Now it's time for us to do our own thing. So both the Gith Yankee and the Gith Zerai hate the mind flayers. Um, but over eons, their hatred for each other is just as strong. Yeah. So she's going to say, um, well, after the squids made us and we left the squids, the Gith Yankee wanted to keep fighting and the Gith Zerai didn't. And now they hate each other. Wait. Wait, I'm sorry. So they try to kill you because they don't want to fight? So this is over an ideology of pacifism versus um, war? I guess. Huh. All right. That's... Hey... I mean, I, I, it's, it's a cultural thing. I'm sure. I don't, I don't know what. It, that's, that's fine. None of my business, I guess. I was just curious. Okay. That's what they taught us after we hatched. Yeah, but I mean, haven't you had your own sort of opinions since then? Yes. And. Says <laughs> <laughs> both of them. I think that they're fine. Some of them were on the ship I was on before. Oh, sure. All right. Well, that's why you didn't kill her, I guess. Well, yeah, maybe uh, next time we'll just try to pull the same routine on her. Maybe she just needs somebody to tell her that she can change her opinions. Needs to uh, <laughs> unlearn some things, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I kill her, it's not because she's a Githserai. No, it's because she's probably trying to kill you. I get it. All right. Well. Got to teach her to grow past the circumstances of her upbringing. <laughs> <laughs> Do we all have any plans? Uh, well, I have a plan personally, but uh, I was going to see if you all wanted to do anything first. What, Nick, uh, are there any landmarks in this place that are interesting? <laughs> what does your map look like, Nick? <laughs> so, uh, uh, as I said when you rolled in, this settlement seems to be perfectly circular, and it is like the footprint of this settlement seems to be the exact, like, I cut through the storm right. above, um, almost as if the storm is held by a magical barrier in a cylinder directly above this perfectly uh, circular uh, settlement. And you see the tent cities that have gone up uh, everywhere that this is a pretty large and extensive uh, archaeological operation. Two thirds of this circle is excavated dig site. And you see that among the tents are lots of archaeologists and dig workers, basically. You see there are a few that seem to have artifacts laid out on tables that are in the process of cataloging and tagging them. There's other little uh, table areas where they are kind of cleaning and ex excavating small artifacts um, to get a closer look. Um, and then there's also a bunch of workers that seem to be going in and out of the dig site itself. Um, you see that there is kind of a little bit of like a tent city set up and adjacent to like the dig site that seems to be made up of uh, a few dwarves, um, some of which seem to be helping out with the dig itself and some seem to be just kind of lounging about. And uh, yeah, that's what you kind of see. Now, the one thing you do all also notice is that when you jump down off of the vehicle, the ground itself is interesting. It seems to be dirt and like stone, but there is intricate patterns across the ground, almost as if the entire circular settlement is one giant geoglyph of these interlocking, very precise patterns. 
Uh, all right, Marco, you run this show. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you tell us. What, what are we looking at here? Where do you want to go? All right, well, um, this archaeological dig is currently being headed up by the Seekers, if I do recall, and that they're being led by someone by the name of Diago Vasco, who asked me to bring this medallion over to him. So I suppose that could probably be the first place that we stop by. I don't have a problem with that. That um, sounds fine. All right, and then uh, here we go. He says that that's the big tent over there. Shouldn't be a problem. Marco just leads on ahead towards the big tent, looking a little bit more like, ah, I feel very at ease <laughs> here. Like, everything feels right. Yes, you've been on many, many a uh, dig site, searching for magical artifacts and, you know, relics of society's past. This is as much at home as you have ever felt since you left Toral. Mm, the smell of freshly turned dirt. <laughs> You know, the thoughts of a new discovery. Can you feel it, Luckbeak? I mean, sort of. Marco, is there a lot of money in this profession? Um, <laughs> there is a lot of academic discovery. Yeah, that's exactly what people who don't make money say. It's 1997. There's been a turf war between the Visigoth of the 5th century and the Malgoths of today raging for a full year. Now, with the mysterious chain letter creating new conflict, the Goths will fight for dominance over the Hawthorne shops. But what happens when feelings get in the way? We're just gonna go mess with the Visigoths. Beric's just gonna make like kissy sounds. There's just like a coy little wink back. To woo a dark heart. Would this woo your dark heart? She's so pretty and she makes my heart beat so fast and I don't know why. Visigoths, Malgoths. I guess the most important thing is that I'm free. Join Project Derailed if they play any nominated Visigoths vs. Malgoths. Fables Around the Table, Season 2, Tainted Love. Sometimes, love bites. ProjectDerailed.com